We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Nets fans, to our final season review of the on the Brooklyn Buzz. Uh, make sure you are subscribed on iTunes and following us at OTG Basketball at OTG Nick at the J Man JBT. As always, I, w- I have with me the man himself at OTG Nick. Nick Fay, how are we, friend? I'm doing great, Jack. How are you? I mean, I'm pretty excited to get our season review finished up. It's been a great series, all the way from D'Angelo Russell to Alan Crabb and Joe Harris today. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to the Atlantic Division uh, off-season pod on the OTG outlet. If you haven't subscribed to that, it is a must, must follow. Um, and you guys are talk- having a little bit of a Nets talk there, and that, that wet my appetite a little bit and saying some nice things about my boy Joe Harris. Let's talk about him, please. Um, tell me everything that you love that uh, I also love about Joe Harris. Yeah, no, like you said, Jack, and I think Joe Harris is just a fan favorite. Like, it's hard not to like the guy. He plays hard. His effort is always there, fundamentally sound. He just seems like a winning-type player. Obviously, that three-point shot and obviously shooting top of the key, I think he was like 42%. A lot of improvements this year. I think not only did he improve his, like, his overall game, but as a passer, he made some great passes to Jared Allen late in the season, but it's obviously not not that hard to pass to Jared Allen. But sure. I think his effort on defense, his improvements, his passion for the game, I think, you know, seeing some of that emotion from him, he just seems like a Brooklyn guy, a perfect guy for the culture that the Nets are trying to build. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's improved. He improved throughout the entire season, as you mentioned, Nick, um, in the uh, net season review on NBA.com. He improved into uh, in January to becoming in the top 20 in, in three point percentage. Uh, and he was the number two guy in, in drives, finishing at six above 62 percent as well. So amazing. You know, only behind the GOAT, um, maybe not the GOAT, but uh, GOAT 2.0, if you want to call him that, LeBron James. So to be, when you're in the company of LeBron James in anything, you know you're doing pretty freaking well. And you know, for a guy that wasn't even 
you know, heralded. I'm sure if there was a, if we go back to a draft scouting port on Draft Express, we might have to hit up Dylan for this. I highly doubt that Joe Harris would have been known for his uh, elite level of driving th- throughout this season and before. Yeah, I think that's one thing that impressed so much is the ability. You know, he's not a super gifted athlete. He's not the biggest guy. He's a tough dude. Kenny Atkinson always says that he could be a football player. But to be able to get to the rim, he protects the ball really well. He uses his body, creates leverage. And you mentioned the the driving percentage. His effective field goal percentage was 61.2, which was six in the NBA. I mean, when was the last time we had a net in the top 10 in anything in the NBA? Yeah, exactly. And and the fact that it came from a guy who wasn't even a starter, maybe that worked out for him because he was able to bully on uh, lesser opponents in that sense. But yeah, the, the entire improvements across the entire, all of those key statistic, statistical areas. And I mean, I, going into next season, I would be more than happy if Joe Harris had the exact same season this year as next year. You know, there's nothing really, I mean, he can improve if he's given more minutes and, and more opportunities, which I'm sure that um, he may get depending on the, the roster and, and squad composition. But everything he did this season, and if he can get even better, I mean, he aimed to shoot above 40%. I'm sure he'll have that um, goal again this season. He may like, look to maybe increase his scoring a little bit, maybe his passing. Um, there are just so many areas that he became um, very, very solid in, um, if not, you know, elite in some areas. Yeah, I think he's perfect in his role. Like you said, you know, if it doesn't change, and he does the same thing he did this year, next year. I don't think I would complain about it at all. I think in a player like Joe Harris, though, he's going to keep improving. I think maybe defensively he can be a little bit better. Yeah, Obviously, he's yeah. limited a little bit athletically. He does put in the effort. And I think, you know, just doing some more homework, studying guys like J.J. Redick and Kyle Korver only help him. Yeah, and I think the the system itself. Um, one year in that sort of, I mean, he's obviously been uh, been with the Nets for longer, but in, in Coach Kenny's system, using those, um, he's he's low key. He's we know his strength, but obviously for guys like Kyle Corr and JJ Redick, the way that they're moving around the perimeter, and I feel like that's one thing that Joe Harris was always doing. And he may not have the elite sort of speed and quickness of those two, but his strength makes up for it. And it was highlighted, obviously, in that drive percentage that we mentioned. And his ability to get to the free throw line, you know, for 82.7 from the line, that's a really nice number. You know, he may want to increase that to an 85 range, but anything above 80, you know, you're looking at very good. Um, I mean, anything around the 90% range is Steph Curry, JJ Redick range, uh, Kyle Cover range, which is obviously guys that we just mentioned. But Joe Harris's game is going to age well also. And that's the thing. You know, he's obviously, you know, he has not even hit 30 yet you know he's in his mid to late 20s and this is a guy that you know obviously that I've admired uh, from afar for, for all of this season and I think going into next season as well it's going to be fascinating to see what obviously he's a he's a, he's a Brooklyn buying guy he's absolutely New York through and through in terms of the the Nets but it's going to be interesting to see what Sean Marks gives uh, rewards him with um, you know uh, was it you or Corey that mentioned on the outlet um, the division preview pod that I just mentioned that sort of Ron Baker rage. Obviously, he's much better than Ron Baker, but Ron Baker was on like a $4.5 million per annum sort of range. Yeah, that was Corey. I would never mention Joe Harris in the same sense as Ron Baker. He's <laughs> <laughs> no. much better hair as well. Ron Baker looks like a mop. Yeah. <laughs> no shade. I mean, he's making $4.5 million, Nicholas, to live in New York and play basketball. We, we can only throw shade at because uh, we are jealous, and I am certainly very jealous of Mr. Ron Baker. Yeah, he did get a he did get an elbow pretty badly from Anthony Davis last oh, season. Yeah, that was yeah. rough. But yeah. um, I think, like you said, Joe Harris also mentioned, he said he told his agent, he's told the Nets that he wants to stay in Brooklyn. I think he respects what they did and help his game. I mean, you could make the argument if he never comes to the Nets, he might not have an NBA career. 
you know, and it's not saying that the Nets are some, you know, magic magicians and they made him an NBA player, but just giving him the opportunity, working with him, believing in him, helping him get that confidence of becoming the player he was, I think was really big. Contract wise, I think he'll, he might get more than 4.5. I could see him getting in that five to seven million range yeah. just because that three point shooting, you know, he shot over 40%. We mentioned he can drive to the rim. Effort wise, fundamentally signed, he seems like a great locker room guy. Obviously, I don't personally know Joe Harris. I know you wish that you did. But, oh, God, yes. <laughs> but um, I, I think there's a really good chance. And I think, like you said, he aged well. Like, I would not mind if I can get him on a pretty good deal. Like, he's not a guy that I think I mind locking up long term because he seems like a great complementary player that's going to fit for a long time in a bench role. And I don't think he minds the role he has with the Nets. He enjoys Brooklyn. He enjoys Kenny and the staff. So I'm really hoping that he stays. Absolutely. And I mean, you, you mentioned that sort of three-point shooting and, you know, you're looking at Kyle Korver and JJ Redick, the guys that we've mentioned ad hoc um, already. Those guys are in their mid to late 30s and they're still having an impact. Obviously, Kyle Korver's uh, impact in the finals was a little bit lesser, but JJ Redick is absolutely balling out and, you know, he was rumored to, to go to the Nets, but um, I'd much rather give that money to Joe Harris, reward a guy who's sort of been with our system. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say no to JJ Redick. Having two elite three-point shooters would be insane, but that's for another day. But yeah, I think the, the quote that um, that the NBA.com sort of review had from is, I think they're about the right stuff and I don't really envision myself being anywhere else. Now, if that's not a buy and if that's not a, a sort of clear-cut statement that he wants to be with the Nets, you know, going into the future, then I don't know what is. It's it's definitely good signs for Joe Harris and, you know, for, for the whole staff as a whole because the guy just, he gave it his all and he's just one of those guys that you could never question his effort um, on a nightly basis. What was your favorite Joe Harris game this season? For me, Nick, it was almost like the the amalgamation of all of them. I, I liked the nights where he had some good passing games. Um, there were just for me every time he, he would just have an impact. It wasn't necessarily one game. I, it, it'd be very hard. Like it, I'd have to get my chapter book out of all the sort of notes I took on Joe Harris. But there were so many games where he would you know come in and just make an impact, and it was like. Um, whether it was subbing in for for an Alan Crabb or, or Spencer Dinwiddie, and it, he immediately made his impact felt. And I'm sure his plus minus, um, if if we look back onto that, I'll check it on on Beable Reference, would be certainly up there when it, when it comes to on off numbers. His overall impact, whenever he was out on the court, you just felt like something was going to happen. You know, whether it was playing alongside of Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, he was probably the most you know malleable player in the, in the fact that he was able to fit everywhere and playing in, in a couple of different positions, whether that shooting guard or that small forward. He was just very versatile. And I think that's one thing um, that's a huge asset to him as well um, for the entire season and going into next year as well. What about you? I think the Cavs revenge game. I think he, you oh, know, yeah. I think the Nets lost that game, but he had a couple really big plays. I think he was like scoring punch for punch with LeBron for a while. Obviously, he's not on that level, but it was nice to see. And you mentioned, you know, Harris. One thing I thought was impressive and that you didn't see the previous season was even when he was missing threes this season, he still was having a positive impact on the game with his effort, his defense, his passing, just making the right plays, and then driving to the rim. You know, when his three point shot wasn't going down, I think he's doing something. The guy that we're going to talk about a little bit later, Alan Crabb, could take some notes on. Harris did a great job of taking advantage when people were overplaying him on three-point line. Like we said, he's not super athletically gifted. He doesn't have amazing handles, but he knows how to drive to the rim. And when the guy overcommits to one size, he's going to use his strength and his leverage and get to that side of the rim, protect the ball going up, and hit a layup. You know, it's something that you learn at a young age, but a lot of NBA players don't do it. And I think that's what you can appreciate about Joe Harris is that fundamentally sound game. 
Yeah, that confidence of the dribble certainly was was something that rose um, through and through throughout the season. The fact that he finished second and drives driving percentage to LeBron James, I mean, th- there's not more of a, a validation that you need. Um, you know, he's, he's off uh, on off numbers. You know, the, he had a plus one uh, in terms of offensive rating, so you know, not a huge difference. But you know, the impact, like we mentioned, it, it was very intangible to what he had. And in Zach Lowe's piece that I just read about the sort of the Cavs off season and sort of the the many missed moves that the Cavs have had over the the sort of past half decade or so that LeBron came back, you know, the fact that Joe Harris was a throwaway piece, you know, Zach Lowe mentioned that, you know, obviously it wasn't one of the defining sort of moves like the, the Kyrie Irving trade, but, you know, imagining Joe Harris, like we mentioned with Spencer Dimley on, on our other season review pod, imagining Joe Harris with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers right now, literally exactly what they need. It's like a better version of Kyle Korver, a guy that can play a little bit more defense and a guy that can probably play against the Golden State Warriors and you don't have to sub out because, you know, he's not that defensive liability. So, you know, he certainly had his Cleveland revenge game and I think he's he's more about, uh, you know, just being able to make an impact and he's got that confidence that's through the roof now. And, and I guess it's one thing that Alan Crabb can learn from and he certainly did going into April. But, you know, that driving that we mentioned, Nick, was that one thing that sort of disappointed you about Alan Crabb's season? Yeah, I think later in the season, he started to pick it up a lot. I think we expected Crabb to pick up more of his offensive game going into the season. We knew he was a three-point shooter, and the Nets believed in him, and they believed that he could be a bigger offensive threat. And I think also his ball handling was an issue. I expected him to improve on that, and I think that's something, a skill that you can acquire. You know, you look at Steph, he was an amazing ball handler coming to the league. Now he's probably one of the best in the league. I think there's just some areas on Crabb's game where I still believe in Alan Crabb, but I think there's a lot of improvement that he can make. You know, a lot of people say, oh, he doesn't have huge weaknesses yet. Yeah, but he can tidy up a lot of small things and it'll make him a lot better player. Yeah, efficiency overall. You know, he's a great shooter. We, we know he's probably got one of the prettiest shots in the league. You know, he can get it off really quickly. But yeah, that getting it um, off the dribble sort of moves, you know, getting into the lane. You know, a lot of his highest scoring nights, you know, he would start off shooting out well and then that would lead to him being able to go off the dribble a little bit more. Um, you know, the overall percentages were, were a little bit down to what we'd sort of uh, come to expect of, a, of an elite shooter like him, uh, especially from the field overall. You know, the, his April was awesome, you know, averaging twenty one over 21 points, five rebounds, 2.4 assists and a block and shooting almost 55% and 50% from downtown and also 90, over 93% from the charity stripe. You know, those are elite numbers. And, you know, in that um, month of April where we played five games, we won three of them. So Alan Crabb has an impact on, the, on this net in terms of being a winning team. It's just how he sort of, it's it's a very mentality. It's confidence is, is everything, and we've we've spoken about that uh, in relation to Alan Crabb and his his up and down sort of season. And you know, if he can sort of keep that confidence, which I think he has now, and I think you know, confidence not necessarily um, it might be sort of mental, but I think it was confidence as well going into the season in terms of his uh, confidence in his body. And I think he has that now, and I think he's going to have that going into the summer, which is I think going to be big for him. And there's a lot of guys criticizing him, and you know, some of them are very warranted, but I think there's uh, a really big upside to Alan Crabb in terms of the 2018-19 season. Yeah, he looked a lot more comfortable at the end of the season. You mentioned it, you know, confident, consistency. He was, like, unsure of what to do. And I feel like you said it, you know, when he played well, the Nets won a lot of games. There's also games he played well and the Nets lost. But, you know, a couple games early in the season, I recall, he missed, like, four or five wide-open threes. He knocks down one of those threes. It's a different game. The Nets have a chance to win or tie it, push it overtime. So I think, you know, Crab is a big piece. They believe in him. I think uh, one positive going to the season, I think defensively he really improved. He show, yeah. showed that he wasn't a terrible defender. He had some really nice games, you know, getting up in the people deflections. Obviously he had some bad games as well. And 
And like you said, one of the prettiest jump shots in the league, probably the prettiest one on the nets. And he has the ability to just get super hot. You, you know, he dropped 41 against the Bulls in that month of April, and I think he hit eight threes. Like, he just has the ability to scorch where he's hitting threes that he shouldn't even get a look at, and he's still putting them up and knocking them down with a swoosh. Yeah, it's like some Seth Curry style stuff, you know. Yeah. He, in terms of his three-point shooting, you know, he broke the Nets record of 169 threes in a season by more than 30, finishing with over 200, 201. You know, I feel like that's a number that could be easily broken next year, maybe even with the 250, um, especially, you know, with the fact that, you know, his health and his confidence. The three-point shot is never going to be a worry for me. It's going to be the other things around his game. And the fact that he has that sort of defensive side to him is something that, you know, was surprising and, and, and a plus in terms of Coach Kenny's system on both sides of the floor because, you know, we like to really turn defense into offense. And a lot of our best performances as a whole were where we would play such good defense that we'd be able to get in transition, you know, get those transition threes. Those are really deflating. And, you know, the Golden State Warriors are... The, the, the prime example of that. You get a transition to three, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry nails it in your face. You know, that leaves you deflated as hell. And the Nets can start to do that a little bit more with guys like Crabb and Harris. The reason why we've sort of done this pod together because both of them have uh, very similar skill sets in a lot of different ways and, the, and how they can sort of impact the Nets as a whole as well. Yeah, and it feels like Alan Crabb would like to get out and run. You know, there's a couple plays in my head that stick out where he kind of got ahead of everybody, got some easy open layups. You know, if they can get the Nets overall, I think would benefit from getting more in transition, getting more transition buckets. And I think Crabb's a guy that would benefit from that. Also, his off-ball movement is very impressive. You know, he's constantly moving, staying busy, yeah. especially at the end of the season. I think that's something, you know, continue to grind with that. But in terms of, you know, things to improve on, like we kind of touched on the ball handling, I think he can improve as a passer too. It's, you know, he just could learn a lot from Joe Harris in the sense of reading how the defenders are playing him. I think there's a couple times when guys are overplaying him where he doesn't really know what to do. You know, take advantage of your leverage, your length, and kind of get in the get in the lane. You know, work on that package a little bit. I think when he was hitting his teardrop, he was a lot better player. If he can, you know, make that a knockdown shot, it would work out really well for the Nets and Crab. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think as well, some of the lineups that he would he was obviously start for uh, more than, than most of his games uh, for the season. You know, it, there'll be times where we would play with Rondé, Jared Allen, uh, you know, Dinwiddie uh, and, and D'Lo or, or D'Lo uh, and in that sort of and Damari Carroll and a lot of the time you know there's, he's easily the best three-point shooter of that and with guys like Rondé, Jared Allen and if D'Lo is there you know you're generally one of the only sort of two three-point shooters and the the team the the, op- the opposing team is going to really sort of harp on and, and defend you really hard and I don't think he obviously was used to that a lot being sort of the third guy out in Portland the season before but you know, his percentages for the season, 40.7% from the field as a whole. Um, he's got a career average of 44%, Nick. Is that somewhere where, where that's realistic for, for uh, Crab to get back to? Yeah, I don't think you want any player shooting 40%. I think that's, you know, the Nets, that was probably a big issue this year was overall field goal percentage for the team. Did Witty, yeah. D'Lo Did- had similar sort of things. Carroll's wasn't great. I don't think either, you know, Karis Averts wasn't great overall for the season. I think you're looking for every, you know, especially for your twos and your ones to shoot at least 44 plus, you know, if they can shoot 45, 46, you're looking at a very efficient season. And the three point percentage wasn't too bad. At, I think 37.8. If you can yeah, get that good. closer to 40, which I know he's capable of doing, you know, taking out some of those bad three point shots that he took and obviously some of them being rushed. And like you mentioned, Jack, you know, being focused on more defensively, you know, not having Dame and CJ there take some of the pressure off, I think made it a little bit harder and he didn't know how to react. This season, I'll have a better idea what to do. And obviously, hopefully he puts in some more improvement. Yeah, and fourth in the team is scoring. You know, for a guy that's probably, you know, one of our highest paid players, if not, I'm pretty sure he is, he's our highest paid player with Timothy yeah. Moskov. Uh, 13.2 points per game. You know, it's 
you know, that's one area where he can clearly get better at. And we, we saw those scoring explosions. And you know, without those sort of scoring explosions towards the end of the year, that number is obviously a lot less. So it certainly shows, hopefully, you know, that sort of momentum that the Nets uh, individually and as a team can be brought into the next season. Now, there'll be a lot of teams, that'll, uh, a lot of fans that'll be saying, you know, why, what's the point of getting wins when we finally get our own pick? But I feel like the development's going to be natural anyway. We're still not, um, you know, at a... a uh, we're a fringe playoff team at best. And, and in that sense, you know, with the whole uh, evening out of the draft lottery as well, it doesn't really make sense to sort of, you know, change the sort of, you know, uh, change the sort of perception and change the sort of, you know, the goals of, of the franchise as a whole, you know, keep that sort of culture, I think is the number one thing. And I feel like Alan Crabb's going to benefit from that. Um, and, and I feel like Joe Harris as well. I feel like both of these guys, who do you, ex- who do you think is more important to this team right now, Nick? And if we could have, you could have one of these guys, Alan Crabb or Joe Harris. There's a lot of people saying Joe Harris because of his money, it's the easier choice, but Alan Crabb probably has that highest ceiling. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, Alan Crabb probably has a higher ceiling, but obviously the contract's going to be big. And just getting back to one point that you mentioned, the improvement, if you look at guys, they had big improvements when they joined the Nets, but it's usually the second year with the Nets where they're really picking up. Look at Dinwiddie, off-season improvements. Yeah, Joe Harris, exactly. Rondé obviously was a little bit different, but still, you know, that second – actually, no, it was the second year because it was Kenny's first year. So I think – yeah, get that second year. Yeah, Al Karras, my boy. How do I forget about that? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't deserve to be on the show, Jack. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, looking at that, I think you're expecting more from Crab to improve, and I see no reason why not. Back to the question, though, um, I think Crab has more potential than Joe Harris. I think he's a little bit more athletic. He's a little bit more lankier. But Joe Harris is more fundamentally sound. I think Joe Harris is clo- closer to his ceiling. But his floor is obviously a little bit higher where Alan Crabb just gets really inconsistent, loses confidence at times. But I think Crabb, there's still potential to be better. I think the Nets still believe in him. And I think he could get that points per game up to 15 and become one of those elite defenders. I think he could be the perfect 3 and D type player. Yeah, he really can. I mean, you can only look to a, a guy alongside him like a Damari Carroll. He had you know, a career best season you know, going into his 30s. Um, you know, Alan Crabb. We have a lot of guys in this team, you know, that will probably age quite well in terms of how they play the game. They just fit the sort of modern uh, pace and space de- defensive sort of style of the NBA. Now, there's a long way to go in terms of our sort of defensive improvement, but, you know, the sort of tangibility and the mentality is there. And Carol Severton, you know, mentioned, and this again was in the NBA season review article, the fact that he's a really unselfish player. And that's one thing, you know, they wanted him to be more aggressive. You know, they know his talent. They know his shot. But it's it's almost saying that, you know, when he's got that encouragement from his teammates, you know, it, it sort of plays into it. And you sort of felt that, you know, throughout the season, you know, he got to know his teammates a bit more. He didn't have the offseason with them. We see him now, you know, with the um, doing the offseason sort of training with a lot of the boys. It's good to see. And I think, you know, having this sort of cohesiveness for, for the Nets right now is why we're sort of being brought up in conversations for potential free agents. And, you know, Rondo Hollis-Jefferson, you know, uh, at the at the finals with a guy like Clay Thompson, you know, I told him, I, I tweeted, I'm like, you know, give him a text, get Clay, you know, that we can give him some decent money. Clay Thompson on the Nets, oh my God, how amazing would that be? But I mean, um, he would love Kenny's system. He'd be like, shoot threes all day, 20 for a game. <laughs> and I mean, he would have absolutely, he could bring his dogs with him. I mean, I, I just, Clay Thompson's already my favorite um, Golden State Warrior right now with, with Stephen Curry. And I, I mean, if it was on my team, but it, it, in saying that, you know, I, I feel like there's just a, a a lot of sort of cohesion that just bodes well for Alan Crabb. You know, the fact that he's got that backing of his teammates is only going to help him going forward uh, individually. 
Yeah, and getting back to another point you've mentioned, you know, t people saying, oh, they should go to lose. I think building up the culture like we've had, winning, and then there's always a possibility of adding a player in via trade or free agency. I think people, like, forget and think that's not possible. If you look at a group and you're like, all right, this is a pretty good group. If we add one superstar in free agency in, you know, 2020 or 2021 or even maybe in 2019 – or you draft a couple good players in the late lottery, or, you know, maybe if we happen to squeeze into the playoffs in this year or next year, you know, it's not like you can't get quality players. You move a couple, you know, good players in a trade, next thing you know, you're trading for a superstar. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. No, not at all. And, and Alan Crabb, again, only 25 years old. Um, you know, it was, it's a thing. All of the, the, a lot of the core of this Nets team has so much upside in terms of, you know, their age, their potential going forward that, you know, we're building towards something that when we're peaking, the, the age of these guys is going to be at a perfect sort of range. You know, you look at where um, the Cleveland Cavaliers are, obviously the oldest team, but where the Golden State Warriors are, all those guys are in their, you know, early uh, 30s or, you know, 31 or 29. And that's sort of where the Nets should be peaking. You know, when in four or five years' time, Alan Crabb's still on this team, I expect this Nets to be... Uh, a playoff top four team hopefully you know it's going to take a a long road but you know the, the steps are being put in place right now and you know you can only start somewhere and alan crabb and joe harris i think are going to be a part of um nets playoff basketball when we eventually get there yeah i think at least one of them for sure i think we're going to see one of these guys long term if you lose one of them it might happen you know it's hard to keep two players in a similar thing but with the shooting needed in this system i would not be surprised to see both guys long term yeah, and, and it just it, it, it bodes well that these guys just fit in so well. They love the environment. They love what the coaching is. But, you know, guys, as always, we appreciate you listening for, to all our season reviews. They're going to be up there, available for all season. So if you miss one or two, make sure to check them out and subscribe to the Brooklyn Buzz, uh, OTG Outlet, JBT, Full Access Hoops, plenty of content on Blog Talk Radio, on the OTG Basketball Network. So, Nicholas, as always, mate, it's a pleasure chatting with you pleasure with you as well jack and and big shout out to you guys because we've been killing it number wise on the season review so we appreciate all the support and jack Absolutely. and i will be dropping a, a nets draft uh, pod with a special guest uh coming up early in this week also we'll be still doing our off-season preview talking free agents as well so keep an eye out for that stuff and as always thank you for the support and thank you jack whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.